Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. There's a, there's a constant tension involved in being a follower of Jesus. Have you noticed it? Have you noticed that that tension, and, and you know, the, here's the thing about tension, is as, as people, we don't like to live with tension. If I were to ask you to raise your hand uh, to the question, I love being tense all the time, how many would you raise your hand? Probably few. And you'd be the weird ones. And I, you just identify yourselves as... Weird. We don't like tension, so we we always try to resolve tension. But do you know that there are times when resolving tension is the wrong thing to do? And this is one of them. What we're about to talk about today is that instead of resolving tension, we need to manage tension. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I learned that sometimes it's better to manage tension than resolve tension uh, when, as a kid... Uh, my family, we used to go out uh, camping from time to time, and I'd help set up the tent. Later on, I'd go camping on my own. I got my own tent once, and it was a brand-new tent, and I thought to myself, man, I'm gonna, I am going to make those bungee cords super tight so that my tent is taut, and it is just strong, and if wind blows or whatever, and I, I pulled those bungee cords, and I, I put those stakes in, and I pulled those babies as tight as I could possibly manage. And every time I went camping with my new tent, I did that. And then about the fifth time I went camping, I started to notice something about my tent. Do you know what it is? The seams by the tent stakes and the bungee cords were ripping out. And that was because I I was taking it to an extreme and putting too much tension. Now, had I taken it to the other extreme and not put enough, then what would have happened also likewise to the tent? It wouldn't have stayed tight. And if, if wind had blown up, the tent would have probably gone over. What I had to learn from that is that you can't resolve tension all the time by either making it too loose or too tight. You have to manage tension by keeping the tension, but keeping it going back and forth, and then ultimately keeping it balanced in the middle. And, and that's what we're talking about spiritually here, is that it's actually dangerous. We can rip the seams of our faith if we try to resolve the tension that exists in following Jesus Christ, that this is a tension not to be resolved, but a tension to be managed. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more fully what I mean by that, but in essence, it it breaks down to this question of, as a Christian, since I'm forgiven and since the gospel, as Jonathan said, uh, gets the last word, I can resolve the tension by saying, well, then, that means sin doesn't matter anymore because all my sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven so I can live however I please now that I'm a Christ follower because it's all covered by the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God. I could resolve it that way. Or 
I could resolve it this way and say, you know what? I need to study the commandments and study the commandments and study the commandments. I need to know intimately all the do's and don'ts of a holy God. And I need to feel guilty, really guilty, really ashamed of myself every time I sin because that's going to motivate me. And ultimately, that's how God is going to be pleased if I live a really holy, holy, holy life. And you've probably met Christians of both stripes who want to, in one way or another, resolve this tension instead of manage the tension and flow back and forth between these two points. That, yes, we have a holy God who abides no sin. And, equally, we have a loving, merciful, and gracious God who forgives every sin. And now what does that mean practically for us? Well, that's what we're going to talk about because that was the problem that John was facing as he writes his first epistle to a group of congregations in Asia Minor. They were being taught to resolve the tension rather than manage the tension. And so he writes them this. So pull, pull out your crosswalk notes or just look at it on the screen. And you're going to feel the tension in these verses. Here's what he says. This is the message we've heard from him, meaning from Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We claim we have not sinned. We make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, here you see the tension really clearly. My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. How does that make you feel? I write this to you so that you never, ever, ever sin again. Yeah, I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Really? Never, ever, ever sin again? And then he goes on. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Oh, really? Then all my sins are covered, so I guess it doesn't matter if I sin. You see the tension? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, if all the sins of the whole world, past, present, future are gone, why worry about sin anymore? That's the tension. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me tell you what's going on when John writes this. When when the early apostles in the first century planted or launched churches, the, the place that they gave the most attention to of any place in the ancient Mediterranean world was a was a province, a Roman province called Asia, sometimes called Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And then and, and Paul came in first, the apostle. And he set up all these churches, but he did it in a way that we don't typically do it today. Like, 
as Crosswalk, we did not launch 10 years ago in this way because if we had launched the way Paul had launched, I would have come to Levine and after about two or three months, I would have left Levine only to write letters back to you until I died. Maybe I would make an occasional trip back to say, hi, I'm still here. And uh, I hope you guys are going with God. That's how Paul did it. And so what would happen is Paul would set up these churches, set up leaders and elders in the churches, and immediately, just like Jesus promised, thieves would come to break in and steal spiritual, the, the spiritual truth that Paul had established. False teachers would come in. They would follow Paul, and they would go, need a new pastor? I'm your perfect candidate. And they would come in and then lead the people astray. And then the next apostle would come to Asia Minor. Anyone know who that one was? Guy named Peter, pretty good follower of Jesus. He came in, he got him back aligned. He also wrote them letters after he left. He didn't stay forever. He left and wrote them letters to try to keep them on the straight path of God's truth, keep them in the middle of the tension, not resolving the tension. You see, every time these false teachers would come in, they would teach the people to resolve the tension rather than maintain and manage the tension. Well, the final apostle to come in in Asia Minor, you probably can guess because we just read his letter, is the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. And he came in much later on now, we're probably 80, 90 AD, and began to align the people. But then ultimately, John was arrested by the Roman government and detained and exiled to an island called Patmos. So now he's in the business of writing letters. And the thieves are still breaking in to steal. And Jesus had warned about this. He had told his disciples to expect this. Look at John 10.10. 10. The thief, and he's, he's referencing false teachers here. And ultimately he's referencing Satan, the father of false teachers. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You can tell in what we just read that John is pretty serious here as he addresses the people in, in the province of Asia in these various, in these various churches. And he's, like, he's not mincing words. But then he's been with Jesus. He's been, he followed Jesus for three years. And Jesus is a guy who didn't mince words. Look what, he, look what Jesus taught him. He, he said, by the way, these are not petty thieves, these false teachers. They're not just going to grab a little thing that really doesn't matter and go. What do they come in to do? You see it there? The thief comes only to steal and stealing isn't good enough. And to kill and to destroy. The ultimate goal of the false teacher and, and Satan is to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus teaches the disciples how different from me. I, I your Savior, come to give you life. And, and not just life, but life to the full. Now, I've lived this. I, I have lived this. When I, was, when I was growing up, I, I had parents who had bought into the worldly philosophy that was 
going around of hedonism. You know what hedonism is? It's basically that life is about pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. What, what, we need, what life is really about is grab all the pleasure and all the fun and all the excitement and adventure you can. I grew up with parents that were like that. In some ways, they were very fun parents to grow up with. But in other ways, what I discovered out of living with hedonistic parents is that they destroyed themselves with that philosophy. And ultimately, as I've shared with you guys many times before, uh, it did not end up in life for them. What, what they had thought to be life, like this is, now we're living because we're drinking all we want. We're doing all this fun stuff that we want. It destroyed them. The thief came in and killed. He stole and killed and destroyed. And now I've lived on the other side, following Jesus. And I've seen the truth that when you walk with Jesus and when you walk in the light, that that's really life and life to the full, even though maybe a lot of people from the outside would look at the life of a Christ follower and go, "Now nah, that's not for me. It's a little boring and dull. But we as Christ followers know this is really life and life to, to, its, to its fullest. And if we don't have this, it's a problem. You see... John is writing this letter because of a guy. We actually can name the guy. The guy's name was Serenthus. He was this pastor, this, this teacher that came in. And what he brought was a form of teaching that we call Gnosticism. You've heard of an agnostic? This is not an agnostic. An agnostic is one who doesn't know if God exists. This is a gnostic, mean, meaning he does know. Gnostics thought, I have been given some pretty special insight. And, and there were different sources for, for that pretty special insight that they thought that they had that made them smarter than everybody else. Some people who were Gnostics thought God gave them a direct revelation that made them smarter. Some people just studied and studied and studied, and they learned worldly philosophy. Like a lot of teachers today, you just keep studying and you pick up pieces of religion and faith over here and pieces of religion and faith over there and knowledge and philosophy and you put it all together and you are now the world's teacher. That's what Serenthus was. He was the equivalent. He came in and he said, you know, in our world we know so much. We've got Plato and Aristotle. We don't, it's not just the Bible. We need to put it all together. In our modern world, it would be like saying, if I were to get up and say, here's how we're going to do teaching at Crosswalk. I'm going to bring you the best of the Bible, and I'm going to bring you the best of the Oprah show. And we're going to put those together because, man, Oprah is brilliant, and she has learned so much in her life. And she, she really is a brilliant lady. I'm not putting her down that way. But what we need to do is put it, mash, let's, let's mash it together, and then we'll have real truth that's teachable. That's what Serenthus was doing. And as he did that, he led the people to resolve the tension. And here's how he did it. He taught them that in his special knowledge, what he had come to understand is, is that Jesus and Christ are not even the same thing. Jesus is a man, 
and Christ is a spirit. And at Jesus was not born true God and true man, as the Bible teaches. Sarinthus says, that stuff that's in the Bible, you can cross that out. Instead, what I'm here to tell you is that Jesus was born a man, and it wasn't until his baptism that the spirit of Christ, remember, Christ is different, came upon him, and he became Jesus Christ, a man who has the spirit of Christ on him. And because a spirit can't die, Christ left Jesus just before he was crucified. Now, there was a reason Sarinthus taught this. You see, Gnostics believed that spirit was pure good and flesh, Jesus' body, was pure, was always evil. And so, same for, hum- for us as, as men. Your body is evil. And your spirit is good. And here's why it was practical and important for these people. If your spirit that you have is good, that's all you really need to pay attention to. Because your body is always going to be evil. You just need to accept that and not worry about it. And, and, and know that your body, your flesh, it doesn't matter. if You, you can sin all you want because... That's just what the body does. And you're going to shuck that before you go to eternal life anyway. So it doesn't matter how dirty you get your body. Sin with your body all you want. Because before you go into eternal life, you're going to take your body off and put it aside. And your pure spirit will still be pure and it can go into heaven. So he taught them to be hedonists, pleasure seekers. Because the body was going away in any case. And he resolved the tension by saying, Christians can sin all they want. Because that's just the physical body. So it's all forgiven. Your spirit is good. Live in grace. And John is writing to them now to say, don't you dare listen to that fool. This idiot is teaching you stuff that is going to completely lead you astray because it's going to teach you to resolve this tension in a way that is not pleasing to God in any shape, form, or fashion. And that's where we get these words because John knows that Serinthus has come in to steal and kill and destroy their spirits. And so what does he do? He points them back to Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. John eight twelve says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And this is why John brings in the, the, the idea of light and darkness, because he knows from Jesus himself, as he followed him, that Jesus is the true light and life of the world. Jesus said it here. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And darkness here is basically two things. Guilt. If you follow Jesus, you don't have to have the dark pall of guilt constantly weighing you down for the things that you think you've done wrong. But darkness is also, on the other side of it, sin. You are not going to continue to habitually camp out and live a lifestyle of sin anymore because you're not going to walk in darkness. You're walking with the light. You're going to have the light of life. So do you want to have this new life? Do you want 
you want your life to have just the right amount of tension so that it's like Jesus is a spotlight and he's focused on you. And the reason you can live transparently is because your, your heart and your mind and your life are an open book in the light of Jesus Christ, in the light of his truth and in the light of his grace. You can now live an open-hearted, open-minded, open acting life because it's all transparent. It's all walking in the light. So write this down. Want a life filled with bright spots? Would you like to make the same change that God allowed me to make from, from my early life to my life now? Live with Jesus and live in the light because when you do that, the light of Jesus is going to open you up and you're going to be an open book. You're going to live transparently. Now, what that means is you don't have to any longer live under a constant weight of guilt and shame. And what it means is that you're going to be freed from sin. And both of those things ultimately break our relationship with God. They, they interrupt our fellowship with God. Because when we constantly feel guilty for our sins, and it's unrelenting, unremitting guilt that's just constantly on us, do you know what we're really saying? We're saying, Jesus, you made me promises at the cross, and I don't believe them. I don't believe that you could forgive this sin or that sin or forgive me for all the times I've done this. We're basically telling Jesus, you're a liar. I know you say that you forgave all my sins at the cross, but I need to feel guilty. That's, that's, that's one way to do it. And the, and the other way to, to break your relationship with God is if guilt is over here, sin is over here. Is to say, you know what? It doesn't matter if I sin since it's all forgiven. I can, I can go camp out and live in sin. And that's the problem that John is attacking here. Christians who thought that they could say, I'm a Christian and I can still live in sin, camp out in it, and have a sinful lifestyle. We'll talk more about what I mean about that in a minute. But look at what John says as he leads in. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Like, I saw Jesus. I watched him. I followed him. So that you also may have fellowship with us. I want you guys to get away from Serenthus. Get away from that fool. Come back. Listen to me. Have fellowship with us. And why? Because ultimately, I want you to have fellowship with God. I want God to be your friend. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then there's even a more ultimate reason why John is writing this letter. You see what he says there at the end? He's basically saying, do you you want to have a true, deep joy and happiness in your life? Don't don't listen to what Serenthus is telling you is the way to happiness. Don't listen to what the world is telling you is the way to happiness. Listen to what Jesus, he's the light. Listen to what he says and your joy will be complete. Stay in the light, fellowship with God. You will find true happiness and joy in your life. So here's what I want you to write down next. The real goal of a transparent life is complete joy. 
complete joy. God wants you. Now, that doesn't mean, and it hasn't meant for me, I've, I told you, I, I, I witness what happens in the life of hedonism. I see what life is now. I know this is a much better full life. Does it mean I don't have challenges? Does it, does it mean I don't have struggles? Does it mean I don't have sadness and hurt in my life? All those are still there. But in the midst of those, there's still the joy of knowing that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord and walking through all of these things with me, helping me in my challenges, accompanying me in my hurts, and my habits, and my hang-ups to rescue me and save me and heal me. So that's what we want to get is to that point where we have a deep abiding joy. And this is the way. John is teaching us the way to get there. But he starts by saying, do you know that you're robbing yourself of joy? Your talk about joy killer, you, you people, he's writing to the people in Asia Minor in these churches, you're killing your own joy. You don't even know you're killing your own joy. And the way you're killing your own joy is by refusing to, to live transparently. You're living in the darkness. You're either kind of over here hiding because of your guilt and shame in darkness, or you're over here to, to, to hide your sin away from the world. You don't want anybody to know who you really are. Because if they did, you might be really ashamed and they might not want to be your friend and might not want to have fellowship with you. So you hide, you skulk around in darkness. And we still do that today. How many times has it not happened that you and I, we've been ashamed of what we're doing and we just, we hang out in the dark? That's not living transparently. Whatever area of your life you want it to stay hidden. You don't want anybody else to know about it. You're ashamed of it. This is what John is talking about. He says, that's a horrible place to be, walking around constantly in shame and guilt and trying to hide little... Some, uh, some of you are hiding pieces of your life from your spouse. The closest person on planet Earth to you does not know about pieces of your life because you're ashamed of it. That's what John is talking about. Some of you have friends that you have known for years and years and years. And on every other level, you went to high school with them, you went to college, whatever. You are so close to them in every area, but you keep, you keep part of your life hidden from them because you're ashamed of it. And, and, and John says, that is no way to live. Like if you want to have a trusting relationship with your, with your wife or your husband, you want to have a trusting relationship with your best friend, then that's the kind of relationship that should have the kind of trust where you go, bam, here's my, I'm open up my, my heart, my chest to you. I'll tell you anything in my life. I'm going to open up every corner. I'm not going to live in darkness anymore. That's what John is shooting for here. That's tough. Because we're afraid to get that open. We're afraid to get that transparent and that real with people. You know, we have this little thing, crosswalk, real people, real faith. Well, let me just ask you, how real people are you? Are you really real people? And John is going to tell these people, and in effect, he's going to tell us too, 
many of us are living and thinking in a way that does not allow us to be real people. And because of that, we're stealing joy from ourselves because we're not truly living transparently. Flip the page over. Three ways to live without transparency is at the bottom of page one. And then at the top of page two is, and allow the thief to steal our joy. Now, if you go back to page one, you're going to notice in the context of this overall passage at the top, that three times, verse six, verse eight, and verse 10, John starts with, if we claim, and I want you to on, on page one, just so you can see it in context, either underline and circle those three words because he does it three times. If we claim, if we claim, and if we claim. And I pulled those verses out and put them on page two because these are the three issues or problems that John is seeing in this church that still really exists today that rob us of our joy. They allow the thief to steal our joy. And remember who the thief is. The thief is anyone who teaches us to resolve the tension instead of manage the tension. The thief ultimately is Satan. John starts by saying, verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. This is being addressed to the person who says, I can be a Christian and still live in habitual sin. I can be a Christian and have a Christian lifestyle. I can, I can be a Christian and cheat on my taxes every year. Every, and, and, and I will justify it. I will minimize it. I probably won't even use the word cheating on my taxes. I will say I fudge a little bit on my taxes. But even if you do want to call it cheating, if you want to call it stealing, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. So doesn't really matter. I can be a Christian and cheat on my taxes, and it's all good. John says, no, it's not. It's not all good at all. This is, this is the young lady who says, I can be a Christian and live with my boyfriend. And, and yeah, pastor, we have sex. I mean, we're living together. I'm not going to lie to you. And in fact, my openness about this is, it's a badge of honor. Because I'm, I'm not lying, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm a Christian, and I, I live with my boyfriend. And John says, no, you're not. If you claim to be a Christian, and then camp out in sin, how can you walk with the light and live in darkness? Doesn't work. Now, I mentioned a couple examples I could go on with a few more, but you guys are going to want to go home sometime later today. You fit your own example into that. And I want you to really look at your hearts. You might say, well, he's judging me. No, I'm not. I want you to judge yourself. Have you justified living in, camping out in habitual sin? Now, I'm not saying Christians stop sinning. I still sin every day. But here's what Christians do. Every morning, they get up and they strap it on. They, they grab their shield, they grab their belt, they grab their helmet, and they go to war with sin in their lives. And you take sin by the head and you drown it and kill it 
every day. And then, yes, you're going to sin. And the next morning, you get your belt, you get your helmet, you get your shield, and you grab sin by the head, and you thrust its head underwater. That's what Christians do. That's what John is saying. You cannot be someone who says, I'm a Christian thief. I'm a Christian fornicator. It's, light cannot live with darkness. So here's what I want you to write down. When we claim to be gods, yet cling to a habit or lifestyle of sin, we are not living transparently. We are not living in the light. And we are robbing ourselves of joy. Second, 1 John 1, eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Have you ever noticed that after you've been a Christian for a while, you can kind of go one of two ways. Some Christians learn more and more about what Jesus and God have to say about sin. And as they learn what, what God really has to say about sin, they become more and more and more convicted. Like, it's, I don't just murder when I club someone over the head and leave them for dead. I actually murder when I just hate someone or call him a fool. That's murder? Jesus says, yep. Like, I don't just commit adultery when I actually physically sleep with a, with a person that it, just looking at them with lust in my eyes, that's, that's adultery? Jesus says, yeah. I'm not just a thief when I actually cheat on my taxes or grab money from somebody, but, but even when I look at my neighbor's stuff with greed, I'm a thief? Jesus says, yep. And so Christians, as they learn this and understand more deeply that sin is something deep in the heart, sometimes they get very, very convicted and, and they can begin to just feel guiltier and guiltier and guiltier. And, and they resolve the tension instead of manage the tension by slumping their shoulders and going around like Eeyore going, I have this dark cloud of sin over my head and there's no relief. Christianity, I wish I'd never heard about it because it just makes you feel guilty all the time. Which is a horrible picture of what Christianity is. It's not that at all. Do you feel guilty sometimes as a Christian? Absolutely. But just like we don't camp out in sin, Jesus doesn't want you to camp out in guilt. But there's another way that Christians sometimes go. They become a Christian and they learn God's law and they learn what it means. And pretty soon they start to think, hey, I'm getting the hang of this. I'm, I'm getting what Jesus is saying. And in fact, I'm not just getting it up here. I'm getting it here. I'm getting it here. I'm getting it here. I am winning the day. And pretty soon they think, you see, I've learned how to be a righteous man. And now I hope other people will look up to me as an example of how to live like Jesus did. Because I'm practically him. And, and, and it can go that way. And you gradually, gradually, gradually kind of become a Pharisee. Well, that's who John is addressing here. Some of the people in John's churches were starting to say, I've got this. I understand. I, I don't sin anymore. And it's good. What's he saying to them? Yes, you do. And if you start to think you've got this, that it's done You can claim now, I'm not a sinner anymore. 
you're resolving the tension again in a way that is not God-pleasing. You are still a sinner. Yes, don't camp out in it. Don't make a lifestyle of it. But also don't go the other way and say, now I'm righteous and holy and I'm practical like Jesus. That's just as bad a way to resolve the tension. So second problem is when we fail to take responsibility for our current sin and live in denial. Now, let me tell you functionally how people do this today, and and maybe you'll recognize this in yourself. Have you ever noticed that it is not too hard to listen to Jonathan up here confess your sins for you in a very general way? Jonathan says that prayer every Sunday he says it, right? He confess, He says, come on, and, and you follow me in your heart and follow me in your mind. Let's confess our sins. And he, and he says things like, I, I am a sinner in my thoughts, my words, my actions. Lord, I have sinned against you. Now, I'm not saying that's a, obviously, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I encourage Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan's doing that because as a church, we, we want to confess our sins together. But how much easier is it to confess our sins in that very general way than to have your spouse come up to you and say, you know what? You you sinned against me and you hurt me and then mention something specific. Those words you said, those were hurtful. That thing you did, and pretty soon when, when a friend or a spouse or a child or a parent comes up to you and says, no, we're not just talking about sins of thought, word, and deed. I'm talking about a sin now. That you start to go, hold on. I wouldn't have done that unless you did that first. And we start to rationalize it and minimize it. And then how hard does it get to be to say, I'm sorry. You know how many married couples I counsel? who one of them and sometimes both of them say, my husband, he wouldn't say I'm sorry to me if his life depended on it. I can can talk to him and talk to him and talk to him. He is not going to apologize. Why not? Because he's no longer in church where there's a general, yeah, I'm a sinner. He's now being accused of something specific, and he's going to have to own up, take responsibility for it, and say, hey, hon, I did it. Maybe he's even going to have to own up and say, I intentionally did it. And that's hard. That's really hard. And I am sorry, and I ask you to forgive me. Man, how healthy is it to live with that kind of transparency in our life and in our marriages? And so few of us are comfortable enough to do it. But man, we need to start. So this is it. When we rationalize, uh, when we fail to take responsibility for our current sin and live in denial. Here's the last one. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is John now addressing the people more in the culture and around the congregations, the people who are moral. And you've met them, you have them in your life. People who are just, they're honestly good people. They're moral people. I saw a story on 60 Minutes of a young kid, I I think he was eight or nine years old, and this kid had overheard about um, children in third world countries that were in slavery. 
And he formed this charity, and now it's 10 years later, and this charity has become huge. He's just a kid that has compassion. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but that's a, you know people like that. You know, the, the people that at your high school, they were the, the class president and, and the captain of the football, and, and they were just good people, got straight A's, and you kind of hated them a little bit. Um, but, but they're just good people. Now you go and say, hey, you need Jesus. And you know what the first words out of their mouth are going to be? No, I don't. I'm a good person. And they really believe, and, and you know what? On the outside, they are a morally good person. They, 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 God has just blessed them with a gift of self-control, and they see no need to admit any sins. Well, John, John says, well, if, you are, if you're in that thought process, you're making God out to be a liar and you're never going to have a transparent life because his word is not in you. You're not believing really what God is saying and you're rationalizing and minimizing sin to the point where we think we haven't ever sinned. Now, Christians do it too. And the biggest ways that we do it is we struggle to name the sin in the way that God names the sin. Remember earlier when I used the word fornication? Did anyone squirm a little bit? Like, really? Did Jeff just say fornication? Maybe some of you say, well, I I struggle a little bit with eating. You know what the Bible calls that? Gluttony. When's the last time you heard the word gluttony? We don't use the words. And and we struggle to use the honest Bible words because there's a part of us that wants to minimize the sin that we're committing. And so we, we, we don't call it what it is, what God calls it. And so what I, what I want to give you today, this is the most practical part of this message, and I didn't give you a blank. If you want to write it down, here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to confess your sins openly. That's what living transparently really boils down to. And I'm going to tell you what the steps are of confession are. And the very first step is what I'm talking about right here. It is naming your sin and calling it what God calls it. Name it and call it what God calls it. And you are going to squirm. You're going to squirm. Because some of the things that God calls sin are not comfortable. But say it. Be open. It's not as if God doesn't know. He sees everything. And he's the one that invented these names. Then secondly, tell God you're sorry. And by the way, this pattern for, for confessing sins... It works with God. It also works with your wife, gentlemen. Name your sin and then tell your wife you're sorry. Tell your God you're sorry. Ladies, it works really well with your husbands. Parents, it works with your children. Children, it works with your parents. Name your sin and then tell them you're seriously sorry for it. And then thirdly, receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has for you. And then I'm guessing your husband, your wife, 
your parents, your children are going to have for you because they love you. And God loves us. Receive his forgiveness. You see what John is saying here at the end? Here's how to walk the transparent and, and, and joyful walk. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What beautiful words. We have the blood of Jesus. And we're not going to resolve the tension by saying, I can sin all I want. It doesn't matter. No, we're going to say, I'm serious about sin. I'm going to walk in the light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. And not just from some unrighteousness, from all unrighteousness. And then this is the most beautiful verse. I love it. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. You see, he's saying to you, God's not going to lower the bar. And the bar is and always will be stop sinning. Don't tell yourself it's okay to sin a little bit. God's bar is, and I know you're going to continue to sin. We get that, but don't lower that bar. God's goal for you is always stop it. Jesus said, be therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, and here comes the other side, the other tensioner. Don't sin, but when you do, Here's how to manage the tension. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for your sins, and not for yours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So I live transparently by walking in the light, confessing my sins, and relying on Jesus' advocacy. He is the best lawyer you could ever have because he died for you and sacrificed himself for you, relying on Jesus' advocacy for me. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. There's the one tensioner. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And here's today's message in a nutshell. You live in the light by maintaining and managing that tension, not by resolving it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you teach us how to live with the tension of law and gospel really is what it is. And and to know that when we live there, we are going to live with Jesus and we're going to live in his light and we're going to be where you want us to be. Thank you for forgiveness and grace and mercy. Thank you that I don't have to live in guilt all the time, but that I can live in grace. And Lord, as, as I do so, help me to learn not to sin and help me to learn to bring glory to you in everything I do. I pray this in Jesus' name. He is my Lord and my Savior. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. So, to put it in another way, if you want to have a resilient body, you know what you do, don't you? You go to the gym, and you work out, and you get strong, and then what do you do? If you want to have a resilient body, 
You don't stay in the gym. You come home and, and you recover and you rest. And you swing back and forth between going to the gym and then giving your body rest and recovery. If you stay in the gym all the time, you're going to break down. And if you sit on the couch with a bag of Lay's potato chip all the time, you're going to become weak. Spiritually, it's the same thing. We need to get into the gym and confess our sins and be real. And then we need to swing over to the cross and hear Jesus' words of forgiveness and love and how his blood has cleansed us. And then we need to go back to the gym of confession, feel that guilt, and then come back again to the cross. And we manage the tension as we swing back and forth between law that makes us feel guilty and gospel that tells us Jesus has done it all to forgive all of our sins. That's how you manage the tension. So go out and manage that tension. Let me send you out with the the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on, on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. Be resilient.